It's surprising in my surroundings I'm finding the quietest of states these days Just representation of storm brewing Amazed that the focus remains The vocal focal point of my change Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast I'm your host, Matt Chittam And this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there Who are working hard to get better While balancing running with the rest of their lives Thank you for joining me today It's a pleasure to have you here I'm so excited for my conversation with Andy and Zach Ripley They are the co-hosts of the A to Z running podcast also sub elite runners in their own right these people are super fast they have they have a young family and they are totally into all the stuff that we are into here on this episode in this podcast i should say uh but in this episode we touch on all the great stuff right the the way to manage being a sub elite athlete knocking on the door being an elite athlete while having a family the things that they've learned to get them to this point the things that they've learned from as well which is always a fun conversation and just what they've learned from their own their own podcast which is uh one of the best running podcasts out there if you haven't checked it out you really should you can go to a to z running.com or just type in a to z running into any podcast player and you'll yeah, shoot, take it right to it. Right? <laughs> Super easy. You guys know how to look for things on the internet. I shouldn't have to describe that. Uh, if anything, you probably teach me a thing or two. So let's get into it with Andy and Zach. All right, Andy and Zach, welcome to the show. Thank, Thank you, you so much for having us. It's a privilege to be on your show, being a listener of your show. So this is really cool. Yeah, this is this is great. I, you know, it, you guys do such a great job. You guys are like multimedia. You got like the videos. You have your own podcast, I should say first. And we've already said this on the on the in the in the, in the intro, so people are not hearing this for the first time. But yeah, the A to Z running podcast. You guys do such a good job. You have the video component, and you talk to a wide array of people, and your own expertise, which is also so valuable. Um, and you also have this comprehensive website, which 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 I don't have. And it's great. It's like every episode's lined up and you have all like the, the stuff that goes with it. You do such a great job. And the thing that I wanted to have you on the show today to talk about was basically because of your own abilities as runners, compounded by the fact that you talk to so many interesting people in the running world and get their own expertise and opinions about how people can become better runners, better athletes, more fit, healthier, stronger, so on and so forth. I can't wait to talk to you about the things that you guys have learned in terms of your own experience and and and, um, and on the other side of the mic, learning from other people. Uh, I guess before we get into it, and I don't know exactly who to address this to, so I'll just say, Andy, Andy we'll talk to you first. Who, how did this podcast come about? So Zach and I are a bit of nerds when it comes to running. Speak for yourself. <laughs> so we're pretty nerdy. We love the sport <laughs> of running. We love the community that running gives us, the people within the running community. And then, of course, we like the sport. We like to run for our own health, but also the competitive aspect of it is just really fun. So A to Z running is really, it started as like a hobby and it's turned into a lot more. Gotcha. Well, like any hobby, so oftentimes we don't know exactly what's going to come of it. It's just more fun than anything else. Is that how it started for you? Or were there, Zach, were there like visions of grandeur in terms of like, hey, could we turn this into something that's more than just us talking to interesting people? Well, all of Andy's visions are visions of grandeur. Um, and so she, she, Andy's the dreamer and I am the cynic. And so I'm, I'm a Including professional. Including marrying you, Zach. <laughs> we can't, we can't dismiss all of them. Well, <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe that, uh, more credit than is due. Um, 
So yes, it's it's a combination <laughs> of everything. You know, there's dreams. There's um, there's kind of just like the practical. This is just something we would do anyway. We would sit around talking about running with anyone who's willing to listen to us. And so now we just have somehow convinced more people to listen to us, um, which is amazing because the few people who used to uh, are probably grateful that they don't have to as much anymore. <laughs> that might be true. <laughs> All right. So you guys are doing awesome things right now. You race so well. You're so fast. And it's really exciting to see. But let's go back in time because obviously, you know, you haven't been this level forever. So before you started really diving into, you know, being experts in this field and really learning about so many things, what was it like for you when you first got into running? And where did you feel like that maybe you got a leg up on some of your peers early on? Um where it wasn't simply talent related, but things that you were working on and doing to get yourself faster and more fit and really sort of setting yourself apart. And I say that under the guise of, hey, we're all trying to do that now. And maybe there are some things early on that maybe you were able to capture that some of us were missing. One thing that always comes to my mind here is there's there tend to be kind of like two types of athletes. I, I don't know, use that very broad spectrum because it seems to be across all sports. But um, there's the the kind of athlete who just they try something and they're basically the best. You know, they just immediately have it. Um, and those people are exceptionally rare, as you know, um, and and are not us and, and are not uh, very likely most of the people listening right now. Um, and so if we exclude them from the reflection here, uh, for the rest of us, we grow one step at a time. And those steps are not all exactly the same size, and they're not all exactly at the same sequence, but they're largely familiar steps that any person has to walk in order to climb toward success. And, and running there's, we talk about this all the time in the sport. And I say we in a universal sense, there's no great shortcut to exceptional progress in running. Um, you got to do the work, you got to do the work over time, and uh, you got to do a quality collection of the work. Um, and so I'll, I'll, I'll let Andy speak to this. But one of the things that influences that so effectively at, uh, especially at early ages, um, when you think like early in terms of your time in the sport, when you're first getting into it is um, understanding your body and your body movements and how to do that well so that you can get started running in, a, in an effective physiological or anatomical sense. And Andy had a coach who made that happen mm -hmm. at a very high level. Yeah. So I'm going to back up a bit because oh. my beginning of running, and I'm going to mention what he's talking about with the form stuff, it all relates. I started to run because my mom made me do it because we were on I was on a select soccer team that traveled and stuff and I was just like getting on this team because I was pretty average. I didn't ever stand out in one way or another, but I was a little faster than the rest of the girls. So they ended up selecting me, but I I was very mediocre. Well, my mom said, "If I'm going to pay for you to do soccer, you have to run with me when I ask you and you have to touch the ball every day." So I started running and I was so whiny. I would like cry and say, I can't do this, mom. Like, it's too hard. Some things never change. <laughs> uh, now I'm doing, I'm putting myself into that state, I guess. Yeah. Uh, on my own, through my own willpower. But uh, that was the beginnings for me. It was not a place where I'm like, I love this. This is amazing. When you say you were running with your mom, what did that entail exactly? And how old were you? I was eight. 
when I was running with my mom and my mom wasn't able to run in high school. They didn't have a running team. So she started kind of in her 20s. I'm not sure exactly when she started, but she loves to run and she really wanted a running buddy. That's really what this all came down to. She wanted a running buddy. So she would take me out. I'm not really sure how far we'd go, maybe like two or three miles to start. Uh, And then she's made me go much farther with her. But yeah, that was kind of how it started. And she really got me into it. And she's like, you're choosing this, Andy. If you're choosing to do soccer, you're choosing to do the training too. So you can't do one without the other because you need to be dedicated because I'm I'm investing and so are you. <laughs> That's funny. See, I have a, so I have a nine year old daughter who does a couple sports here and there. And I can I can imagine if I presented her sport in those terms that she'd be like, sounds good. Looks like I'm not doing soccer. So what made you not stick with the sport as opposed to be like, oh, if that's if that's the rules of the game here, I guess I'll just go choose something else. That's a good question. Maybe I didn't realize that there would have been that option. And I think part of it, too, is I have an older brother and he is very motivating in most aspects of my athletic experience growing up. So he really wanted me to do it. There was a lot of family influence because everyone played soccer. My dad played it collegiately and was all American. And I wanted to be part of it. And that's kind of like a family thing. We used to go on bike rides for like 20 miles when I was a kid. And it was part of our family culture to be active. So it wasn't super surprising my mom wanted me to run with her for this soccer team. But that being said, it turned into a love for it. So starting it, there wasn't a love. So if anyone's listening and doesn't love running yet, it can still come. Sometimes it just takes time. And I truly do love it today and have like chosen to do it and don't feel obligated to the sport. I really do love it. But in the beginning phases, it was obligatory. And I was just showing up so I could do soccer and be with my friends. Zach, did you have similar experiences growing up just in terms of the family atmosphere around either athletics or just generally getting outside and doing stuff um, that that was kind of athletic at its foundation. Obviously, it doesn't have to necessarily be a sport. If you're out there, you're hiking or doing stuff. Was there that component in your childhood as well? Insofar as my mother would frequently say, get outside, you're bothering me and go play. <laughs> and, and that was it. Um, so athletics, no, not at all. Um, and, and not necessarily that it wasn't present. I just wasn't aware of it. So my family was not very uh, much involved in organized sports of different kinds. Uh, but I had relatives who had done, especially running, it had been a part of my lineage. And I just I just didn't know it very much at the time. But it was it was mostly a way to do things with people in an organized and structured sense. So here's a here's a look into my personality for you, Matt. Um, I don't generally like unstructured social time. It's very stressful to me. Like the idea of I have to sit and just like chat with people for a long time and there's nothing that we're specifically trying to do as is not terribly enjoyable. And so I like to have an agenda for what are we going to do and, and how so, are we going to so do it? So why not start a podcast? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yes. 
Well, and that's exactly, so with these kinds of things, that's one of the elements that proved to draw me into running so well, which is that it creates this natural time where you can be with people like your friends and such, and you have kind of an assigned task, but it's a very, it, it's a simple task. Like we're just running together. Um, and that was, that was a really uh, compelling way for me to interact with my friends and not feel like I was just kind of floundering socially. Yeah, that's interesting. It seems like you had very different, you came at this from very different perspectives. Um, you know, and it, it's, it's so interesting when you hear people's, um, entree into the sport or just into athletics, generally speaking, and how, and how people can end up in a similar place, but come at it from so many different ways. And I feel like that's a great, like, that's a great testimony to the fact that there's no like cookie cutter route that someone has to take in order to be really good at whether it's this sport, another sport, or a completely different endeavor that may not be connected to athletics in any way, right? There's no like, hey, you better have X, Y, Z along the way, get your 10,000 hours by age 16, and and now you're going to be off to the races, um, literally and metaphorically, I guess, in this <laughs> case. Um, so, Andy, you had this entree into, into running through soccer. Obviously, with you know your dad being <laughs> a college All-American in soccer, like that's Pretty nice lineage to have. Your mom is super athletic. When did, you know, whether it's running or some other sport, when did be, being involved in athletics move from, hey, this is just what my family does and I'm a part of that to this is part of who I am? Pretty early on, I think a lot of young people try to find identity in the things that they do. I think we all do, not just young people, but that's kind of where it starts formulating is in like in middle school years. And my friends were runners and I was finding success starting in middle school, just, you know, racing other people. And it was super fun for me. I loved being part of the cross country and track teams then. And that's when it kind of clicked that I kind of got that fire, that spark, uh, the fire in my belly to really try to be the best I could be. And, Zach, and be better than everyone else. He says that. It's so funny. She was. I, <laughs> no, not all the time. I want a few things, but I enjoyed it and it was really fun for me. And that's where like the athletic piece of it came into play. And I thought, man. I'm barely making these soccer teams. I should probably focus on running. This is great. I looked at for both of you to, to, to respond to this because oftentimes there's like a chicken and egg component with this. And, and Zach, how you just brought it up, like kind of hits the point of it is finding whether the enjoyment comes from the success or the success comes from enjoying it early on and then feeding into it. I would venture to say, um, it, it, without knowing everyone everyone's story, um, that there has to be some taste of success, and that success can be progress. It doesn't have to be that you're winning races or something, but there has to be some taste of success in order to see that progress is worth the effort and is possible. So it's it's both efficacy and effort that are proven. And so when we see something like that, um, it's it's happening both at the same time. You know, if I can see progress. And so I'm trying hard and trying hard is paying off, then I'm more likely to be motivated to continue trying hard. And at the same time, when I feel success with something, I like it more. And as a consequence, probably am willing to 
try harder at it. So both of those are happening almost in, in conjunction. I would say this, when, when we think about things like coaching young athletes, that's, you know, so I coached middle school track for a bit. I've coached high school cross country and track a bit more. Um, and one of the things you always notice when you're trying to coach the youngest of athletes is you just need them to feel victorious as soon as possible. Like you, you need them to see that they're doing something good. Um, and that good can be measured in a lot of different kinds of ways. It, it doesn't mean, you know, think about like your middle school basketball team experience. Um, how, how many people have played on a basketball team that never won a game? I have. <laughs> that's that's not always exciting. Um, and so, yeah. So when we think about things like that, it's how, how quickly can we create uh, clarity on that progress, on that success. And, um, you know, if we enjoy the thing, it's more likely that we can tolerate less of that, but it's still less likely to be enjoyable over time unless we can taste it. So we need both. Mm. Yeah. I think of our interview with Kim Conley, you know, two-time Olympian and her, growth mindset. She didn't start as like the fastest person in her school. I don't think ever in middle school and high school. Sarah, actually, she went to school with Sarah Hall. So she wasn't like the fastest on her team, but her measurable growth, and I feel like I can relate to her in this way, was definitely personal. So not looking at the success of others and thinking less of myself, but seeing how far I have come, how I've been more consistent, how I've been able to use my running to meet new friends. But then, of course, the the tangible I'm getting faster. This is really fun. So I really liked that about Kim Conley, like learning from her and how she has implemented this growth mindset to help her really creep up. I think she, what did, how many years in a row did she PR? Like 15, like 15 years, years yeah. in a row she PR'd. Just little incremental steps until she's an Olympian. She should have tried harder earlier on, obviously. <laughs> she was pacing herself. <laughs> pacing and running, right? That's funny. Obviously, I'm joking. Kim Conley, for some reason you're listening to this. I'm obviously kidding. That's a remarkable achievement and a testament to your hard work and ability to stay healthy. Obviously, like if you get injured in one of those years, it's not going to happen. Um, that, that is that is remarkable. And Andy, when you think about progress in the context of one's own personal growth, but also within the context of your peers, that's an interesting interplay, right? Because Zach, you brought up some good points, right? Especially when you're talking about younger runners. And I feel like this can go for novice runners of any ages, is that, hey, personal growth, right? like whether it's more mileage or maybe a little bit faster during certain intervals or just how you feel after the same workout, right? Like I feel after eight miles last week, I felt like this. Eight miles this week, I feel a little better. So I'm going to go on the same speed. Who cares? I feel better afterwards. I'm recovering faster. There's a lot of ways to kind of go about this, whether it's through metrics or just anecdotal personal information. However, the outside forces can also be useful, right? Because I would think that there's a point where in order to really, truly realize our potential, seeing the success of others might be illustrative of that, right? Whether it's the peers that we have or people that are aspirational, that are 10 years or 15 years older than us, we can say, wow, I may be I may be getting better, but look what this person did. Is that something that's possible for me? Or, or how do you go about that process when you're talking to runners of, I guess, any age group? So all of our listeners know, and I want all of your listeners to know too, what a big fan I am of Kira D'Amato. I probably talk about it, I don't know, every other episode on our podcast. Somehow she gets like mentioned. I, I don't know. It's a thing. Kira D'Amato is one of those people to me that 
is so inspirational in this regard because personally, I had two children as well. And I started from scratch again, just like she did. I think I remember her saying she celebrated a 21 minute 5k. You've had her on the show a couple of times too. And I love hearing from her as she's been on our show too. I just really find her to be someone to look at who's ahead of me in life and think, man, I really can get after it. One of her mantras is I'm here for it. And it's something that I started taking on in the past one and a half years is saying to myself when I'm in a hard moment of training, I'm here for it. I'm choosing to be here and I love it. That's why I do this and I get to do this. How lucky am I? And it's probably, um, it, it's almost impossible to not have people that, that inspire us toward a thing that we're passionate in, that we're interested in. Um, and, and I, I'm probably exaggerating enormously here, but, um, the reason being, because when we're excited about a thing, we, we look for where we see that thing in other places and other people. Um, so for running, especially, uh, what becomes difficult here is that it's not one of those sports that's, um, got celebrity acclaim and amongst other, you know, notoriety things that are just not present in running. And so as a consequence, um, it, we, we look for those things or we can potentially look for those things a little bit closer to home. And that's one of the things that I, you know, I, I don't talk about, uh, anyone who listens to our podcast knows that things like social media are outside my purview. Um, however, I do like Strava and largely because of this this element of feeling like you're so much more, you're more able to access the other athletes in your sport um, in ways that you just can't without something like that. I can actually see what other people are doing. I can even like interact with them about it. And so that's where you see these things, these kind of like just these interaction spawning out of nothing other than I saw someone on Strava do this thing that's like, wow, that's really good. I'm going to comment on it. And suddenly now we've got this, you know, occasional interaction and, um, and that can draw out more of that inspiration too. So it's one of these things it's, um, it's, it's almost just going to be instinctual for all of us, I would suggest, but, um, more than anything, it's not always easy with running. And so I, I can appreciate the things like Strava that help it be easier. Yeah, people who listen to your show, I've, I've heard you talk about your disdain for social media arguments and things like that. So I can I definitely know where you're coming from with that in mind. So that you're a great person to ask for this because um, you kind of go into the social media world with a certain amount of like, you know, handoff, like, you know, standoff. It's like, I'm not really I'm not here for that. However, you do see some of the positive aspects of it. So how are you able to engage with some of that stuff without it being um, an internal comparison for you, right? So say you see Tyler Underwood or Peter Bromka or people who are at around the same level of you as a runner and you say, wow, look at what they just did. And I didn't, I don't think I could do that right now or something along those lines and have it not be a negative part of your life, have it be either neutral or a positive part. Well, um, largely I can cope with that because I am so arrogant that I think I'm better than everyone else the whole time. You so, guys, I hope that they all understand your humor, Zach. <laughs> He's, he, he doesn't actually think that, guys. I'm so embarrassed right now. Yeah, I'm trying as hard as I can to troll Andy the entire time we're having this conversation. I'm so glad he's not so, on social media. A to Z running is, is handled by me, everybody. <laughs> Hi, I'm Andy, and it's not Zach. He has to make sure everyone knows that. Uh, well, yeah, so some of this, and Matt, you understand these kinds of things. Different people enter into these kinds of things with different um, tendencies. And, and so my tendency with 
with anything like social media is not generally to try to see if I stack up against the other people. I'm not really looking at it from that lens, but a lot of people do. And that, that can be a challenge. I think the biggest consideration there, and one of the things that we all have to be constantly checking ourselves with is understanding that I need to do what I need. And it does not matter what anyone else is doing because if I understand, and we, we talk about being students of the sport, right? If I understand at a deep level what the sport is and how to engage with it well, high quality training and the physiology involved. And I can understand that to the degree that then I know that where I am right now and what I need to get to the next step is not going to be the same as anyone else or some other, you know, whatever I'm comparing against. Um, It might be, but it, it most likely isn't. And so as a consequence, I can confidently look into the world of everyone else and enjoy that, but not feel like I'm not stacking up in that sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I appreciate you you diving into it because it's something that I feel like it's really easy to fall into that, especially when we're either coming back from a time off, whether it's, you know, Andy coming back from childbirth or someone coming back from an injury or something like that, or when we're kind of at our peak of our powers and we're like, I'm kicking butt. And then you're like, oh man, See what that dude just did? Like, that's pretty crazy. Um, and it's something that's so easy then to kind of compare and contrast um, without doing it in a positive way, right? Because there's other ways of doing it where you can say, whoa, look what that person just did. Like, look at what's possible instead of being it, then thinking of it as like they're doing it and now that's, and I'm not. So all of a sudden, like, there's like, that's the end of the story. And I, that can, that can be such a tough thing for so many people. Andy, when you've come back, you know, whether it's, you know, from baby number one, baby number two, or just other points in your running career that weren't linear progressions, what are some of the things that you've done that have helped you along that path? And I, by that, I mean, like, are there been things that maybe you had like a, um, Maybe you didn't approach it the way you, uh, in retrospect, would have liked to and then learned from, or maybe you took something from somebody else that really helped uh, helped you along that process? Yeah, that's a great question, Matt. My journey has definitely not been linear, and I lost a lot of my competitive nature in high school. And then in college, I was fearful because I was on scholarship and I was afraid to let people down. So I didn't love the aspect of competing. And I became almost like a non-compete in a way. And I really stepped away from wanting to be competitive. Some reason it didn't settle well with me and it brought me a lot of anxiety. So there was a period of time that I was just running. I wasn't being coached. I just, I didn't have a plan. I did it when I could. I was really busy with work. And then something got me going again after I had my my first son, Miles. I decided this is the time to try a completely new distance so I don't compare to my previous self. I don't want any kind of comparison. So Good one. Yeah. I wanted to save the marathon distance for after kids. And so I did that and I had a hard first year with my child. Like it, it I won't I'll spare you all the details. We'd be rambling on rambling runner forever, but I I pushed the jogger much of the time. My work I was I was traveling quite a bit. So I was pretty much just doing base building. And I had very little expectation for myself. But I'll tell you one thing, Matt. 
showing up and doing it and knowing that it was the best part of my day most of the time and it was the way for me to clear my head and enjoying it so much is what really kind of helped me level up. And it was not the competition at all that got me really going. So my first marathon post-child, I ran 255 and, and Zach said, hey, I think that you might be able to get the Olympic trials qualifier because you're 10 minutes off and you you pretty much trained just doing what you wanted to do. And yeah, you got a couple of long runs in there and you pushed the jogger jogger a lot. You worked really hard and, you know, got those got those mom muscles going from pushing the jogger. But we could we could do real training. And to this point, he had said, I will not coach you. That's not going to be good for our relationship. Still isn't. <laughs> We're very, we try to be very authentic about things. There, there have been bumps in the road, but mostly it's been, mostly it's been really good. And so then, yeah, I, I trained and, and had, um, some injuries along the way, but ended up qualifying for the Olympic trials in 2019, uh, at the Chicago marathon. And that was not, again, and not a competitive thing. In fact, what I loved most about that Chicago race was the group of women around me who were all cruising for the same goal. And the power of that pack, it was like a team thing. Like, we're going to do this together. There's no reason I would want them not to do it. It was only better if they joined me. So that is actually what really inspired me to up my game was the fact that these other ladies were doing it too. And not really a competitive nature, but more of like, together we can do this. Women's running is on the rise. These moms, yes, we can do this sport and we can still try to achieve personal best or decade best. I totally believe in having decade best, by the way, and having these things that we can pursue all well, choosing to be in it, enjoying it, and really having it be a lifestyle more than anything. That's a great point. And I think we saw this, I think the most high profile point of this was at CIM in 2019, where it was a very, it's a very public, um, you know, finish line process where you had, you know, dozens of women come through within like 90 seconds of the, of the time. And obviously a couple of people who, who did, you know, miss quite narrowly as well. And it, it really is so inspiring to see. And you don't get that kind of feeling very often in races where you're together in a pack and you're like, you know, we're all in this together. Normally in that situation, you'd be like, who's going to win here? Right. We're all in here. There's six people here. One just dropped off. We got five left. Right. And it becomes a much more competitive situation as opposed to a, uh, a collaborative situation. Since that moment, Andy, obviously, we haven't had a lot of races since then. And people are really getting amped up for that sort of thing now. Have you thought about how ways that you can kind of bring that same sort of vibe to races that maybe don't have the same end goal as making the trials? Yeah, Zach and I have dived into a lot of what works for me as a racer. And historically, even back in college, high school too, I guess, through all stages of my running, I run best in packs. And I have always really felt that I do better when I feel like we're all cruising to try to get something together. And of course, in the end, I'll want to win. <laughs> like I'll want to try to beat people out. But I have found that if I stay in a group, I do much better. Like, And that race decision has been hard because I did have one race this past year that I let there be separation and I had a bad race. 
So I either should have chosen to surge for the next group or I should have backed off and ran with the group that was behind me because I know that about myself. I am a pack runner. That's that's how it works. And if I'm there knowing somebody else's goal, it's even better. And I've I've actually talked with a friend about trying to achieve uh, a PR together. Like she and I are going to try to go and, and get the same PR um, with the same goal for a PR anyway. And I, I do think, yeah, Matt, I'm trying to bring that aspect that I know really energizes me and bring that into race scenarios on purpose and be intentional about it. I'll add one thought to that as well, Matt, because we we talk so much about community and running and how runners love the running community because it's wonderful. Um, one of the most fascinating things to me that happens in a race, and you can you can imagine this, just picture any race where this this has happened, where you start off running and some kind of group congeals, whether you're uh, you know running with a large group of people in a big race or it's just a few of you running near each other and you know in a thin race. Um, this group starts to congeal and you're kind of running then together for a bit. As soon as someone in the group starts talking, just saying something, commenting on anything, it immediately loosens up the entire group. And so then there's like a little bit of banter. It can only be a couple of phrases. And suddenly I feel like I'm doing something with other people instead of against other people. And that change, I've run in a race where I've run with a group of people and never once spoke to each other. And the whole time there was just this grind against each other. And it's just, it's, it's not pleasant, um, in that sense. Now, personally, I'm always trying to just beat everyone around me. I don't know what Andy's talking about with this, like wanting to work together with people. I just want to crush them all, but, but I don't mind doing it in a friendly way as well. All right. Well, you beat me to the punch because I was going to ask you, Zach, Andy, I described herself as a pack runner and where you found your, your way of succeeding in, in similar kinds of endeavors. And I would say that race choice then becomes interesting an interesting option, right? Because if you feel like you're better as a pack runner, Andy, you're also, both of you guys are extremely fast and really accomplished runners. So you can't just like head out to like, you know... <laughs> you know, the St. Patrick's Day 5K or whatever, and all of a sudden find like a bunch of people who can run with you. It has to be a little bit, a little bit more of a, a bigger stage to, to, to get to that point. As you've come to that realization about yourself and where you succeed best, how has that altered how you then view the future in terms of the kinds of races you want to do and the places you want to do them? One of the, one of the first and most important things with it is we find that it doesn't have to be a certain type of race experience to still be worth the time and effort to, you know, so like just the neighborhood 5k versus, you know, a marathon major doesn't really make much of a difference in terms of we love it. And so we will do any of these things. And this is, this is kind of the uh, why is it that runners like to do running events? Um, and I think a large piece of the answer to that consistently comes back to just the the people in the sport doing the thing together. Mm. Um, and we don't have to be racing against each other or running in a pack together. We can show up at the same start line and run through the same finish line. And regardless of exactly when we did it and how long it took us to do it, it's still a good mm -hmm. thing. We interviewed Oliver Hoare, uh, who's part of the on running team, the OAC. It's a fairly new group and they've been rocking it. He's Australian. He's going to be representing Australia at the Olympics in the 1500 meter run. Well, we talked to him about like having a racing season and how these different races serve us differently. So sure, I, to PR, I might want to have a larger race where there is a good pack of ladies with me, but I can learn a lot from a neighborhood 5K and test some things in that arena. Like how am I, how am I doing 
gauging my efforts? How am I doing this or that? Like it can all be informative and it can all be helpful. But of course, like Zach said, we're in it for the fun. We're not professionals. We're doing this because we love it. But there are different purposes for different types of races. And we can almost always find a really good reason within our training or sharpening for races in any of these kinds of events. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, I could go to a race with 10 people and find a pack to run with because of my, my speed. I was wondering how you guys would figure it out considering your own abilities. But I'll tell you this. You guys have are such, um, you know, fonts of information. And it's so interesting to see. And you guys do such great work on your show. With that said, obviously, you've also learned over time. You've talked about being students of the sport. So I'd have to ask each of you, what are the one or two things that you feel like over the last three or four years that you've learned throughout this process that have now become a staple of your own running education? Um, well, I, this may not exactly or directly answer your question, but the thing that consistently stands out to me is realizing in the last several years more than the rest of, so Andy and I have both been running for over 20 years now, 22, 23 years maybe. Um, and so in all of that time, only recently starting to understand the value of understanding the sport well and the science in the sport well. And there's a lot out there in terms of information. Um, and I just, you know, I, I didn't seek it out much uh, at, at different points throughout my own running career and didn't always have people advising me who spent much time articulating that. So I think one of the things that's just so important here is, is finding good sources of the information because the differentiation between doing, just doing the sport, even for years and years and years, doing it consistently and doing the sport at a, at a different quality of implementation, you know, so I can understand um, that it's just important to go out and run, but do I understand the nuance of different types of runs and how they can benefit or serve me in different ways? And, you know, some of those kinds of things, obviously, Matt, there's a, there's a lot to it, but, um, so in saying that I have, I've found that there are certain sources of information that have made it more accessible to me, just easier to, uh, to find, you know, the under, to understand it and things like that. Um, but ultimately just going out and, and, seeking it. You know, I, I'm hungry to learn more about the human body and how it works and how that relates to running and training strategies and approaches and how people have dealt with that kind of stuff across all different levels throughout all these years and so much there. All right. You mentioned like, I know I have to ask, what are some of the places that you have found yourself going to to find more of this information in terms of the science of the sport and the physiology and um, and things that not only are wealth of information, but also you found practical or easy to read and digest. Well, one of the, one of the things I noticed early on when I started just reading more in general on the sport is that there were, there were a lot of common trends, uh, because you know, with these kinds of things, there's really nothing new. No one's coming up with like, I found a new approach to training that no one's ever done before. That doesn't really happen, um, anymore, but it did at one point. So my first endeavor, when I started to realize that is who were the first people who started to come up with the ideas behind what drives our understanding of running and training. And so you start going back far enough and you're encountering predominantly things revolving around the 1950s and forties. And you're talking about Arthur Lydiard and some of that kind of stuff. So immediately I started to think, I really want to understand at high depth what Lydiard was trying to do and why for decades he seemed to be the authority on how to train well. Now, he isn't considered that by all people anymore. He used to be, but not anymore. Um, 
And so there's some contention there. And I think that's entirely okay if, for that to be the case. But then what you find is if Lydiard had all of these, um, these really core facets that we see now throughout everywhere else in the sport of running, then what I wanted to do is not only understand what he was trying to do at the time, I also wanted to understand um, what people have discovered about the science that he didn't know, and you know, the new discoveries about the science and how that relates. And then the final piece of the puzzle for me was, can you talk to somebody who actually was there at the beginning and then and, and worked with Lydiard? So that's where, and I'll, I'll, you know, full disclosure, I'm currently coached by Barry McGee, the 1960 Olympic bronze medalist in the marathon. So he was one of Arthur Lydiard's very first athletes. And the reason why I'm working with him now is because um, he, he was there at the beginning. And the depth of understanding that we can gain by seeing the roots of the ideas and how they have then spread over time into various different schools of thought is really, it's a, it's a profound thing. And I didn't anticipate that being the case until I started to really dive further into it. Got it. Well, thank you for, thank you so much for sharing all that. I appreciate it. Andy, how about you? Yeah, we've read, we've been talking about people that have informed us and people that we've learned from. You were asking about that earlier. And Two people that come to mind at this very moment, Anne-Marie Kirkpatrick, she's a 237 marathoner. I've had the chance to connect with her both at the trials and then on the podcast later, and we've just stayed in touch. She's just an amazing runner, and she really has opened up about how she trains. And we talked about Strava, too, and how sometimes that can be intimidating if we say, we want to get to this place, this person runs this whatever, and this is what their training looks like. Well, she will run her easier jogging pace two minutes slower per mile than her marathon pace. And I needed her to say that out loud. Like, I just feel like I was always seeing these really, really fast pace and I, I can do it and I did do it and then I got hurt. But to hear from her, like, no, actually do this. And this is, this is the, these are the times that I'm running for my recovery pace, two minutes slower than my marathon pace. It almost, I understood it before, but seeing it played out by someone like her really helped me be able to let go of some of the control that I felt like I was gaining by running fast all the time. And yeah, so she's one person that I, I really was learning from. And then the other person, uh, Alice, Alicia Munson, she's going to the Olympics in the 10K for the USA part of the on running group too, but she talked about how she prepares for every scenario. And I really appreciated that because sometimes I'm a Disney girl who like dreams of all the best case scenarios and fantasizes about the perfect race instead of thinking about all of the things that could go wrong and then being tough as nails to overcome them and have the best day for the conditions or the experience. And then after talking to her about that, seeing her live that out and being the toughest person I've ever seen. In fact, Dathan Ritzenhain called her the toughest athlete he knows at the trials, you know, when she had to go to the hospital, to the ER after because of the heat. So she is like a hero of mine. She's younger than me, but she's still a hero because I've learned so much you know, as I've processed that, it's something that you know, but then when you start practicing, it's like, wow, this has really helped my mental toughness. That's a great example. That, 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 that is absolutely a great example. Let me go back to uh, what Anne-Marie said about easy pace versus marathon pace. Um, and I feel like one, I don't know, maybe more than one, but one, one of the things that a lot of dedicated amateur runners struggle with 
with that easy pace being slower is that sometimes it's just harder to run slower, right? So if say you're a nine-minute marathoner, you're like, I don't like running 1030, 1045 pace. Like it's harder. Like I have to like downshifting all the time takes like a mental energy from it. And sometimes you're like, I'm, I can talk, you know, in paragraphs at 10 pace, at 10 minute pace. Why would I want to slow down then? And it it does become a, a different thing. I don't know what it's like for someone of your fitness level. What was it like for you to downshift so dramatically after really implementing that, that training strategy? One thing to always reflect on here, Matt, is there's these things are a little bit relative to um, that end result. So think about like a two hour marathoner, which, you know, there's one of them historically. (laughs) Uh, So I'm going to just use Kipchoge as the example. But for Kipchoge running a two hour marathon versus someone who runs, um, you know, so an eight minute pace marathon, which is an hour and a half more running. So the scale of effort and the amount of time you're giving that effort amounts to a very different kind of comparison between what Kipchoge Kipchoge runs for his race pace versus his easy pace. So like his easy pace is like three minutes per mile slower than his race pace. Um, And I know this because he talks in a number of different interviews about how they go out and these do these jogs, right? So yeah, we're talking about 720 pace in his case. Yes. So, and in that sense, um, you know, these things have to be somewhat relative to context, but when we take them as they are in our context, we, we do the example being, you know, taking my easy pace out of my race pace scenario, um, doesn't necessarily feel as fluid or as rhythmic that, that phrase of it's harder to run slower at times, um, it's a real challenge that we, we face and face intentionally, uh, so that we can do the sport at a, you know, a higher level, ultimately. So for me to hear from Anne Marie that she's able to do this helped me try it. And I truly believed I was in denial, right? Being a run addict, I have to go through some recovery things. It's true. There are elements of it. And I'm not putting recovery lightly. I've actually been through recovery program, but the denial, like the, like, 650 pace is easy for me. I was telling myself that. And it felt fine. I felt great. Like I thought it was easy. And I was just so stubborn about it with Zach. And then I ended up getting, you know, injured because I ran, I, I just was running long runs at like 630 pace for like 19 miles, which is silly, right? Because my marathon pace is actually, what is it, six, 615 pace. So <laughs> I was running so close to it for a really long time. But to hear her say that kind of like was an eye opener to me. Okay. This 237 marathoner is saying you can take it easier, girlfriend. Like you're going to do better. You're going to have higher volume. You're going to stay healthier. And then once I was able to liberate myself from that and find the, the true correct effort, once I stepped out of denial and realized that I needed, I needed to really back it off to help myself do better, thrive better. And then get faster actually. So anyway, it is nice to hear from other people who do back it off. And to your point, Matt, like it is all effort based. It's just finding where is that effort and what, you know, conversational pace. Okay. Then that should probably be be okay. You know, if you're feeling good and it's a good recovery pace, but it's going to be different for different people. I realize, but I was in denial saying, no, my easy, easy pace is 650. And that just was not true. (laughs) 
Yeah, and we can use, with these kinds of things, we can use objective measures. And this is where, um, if, you know, the school of thought that says throw away the watch, which I sometimes am, am guilty of sounding like I'm recommending, but the school of thought that says, you know, get rid of all the data and just run by feel um, has merit. But at the same time, we can use the data to justify our, our decisions accurately in a situation like this. So if a runner says, okay, I, I run nine minute pace for my marathon and I'm going out and I'm running 930 pace for easy runs and it just feels really easy. Um, so that must you know, I, I can't run slower than that because it already feels really easy. Well, the the quickest thing to do is to slap on a heart rate monitor and see, you know, if my heart rate truly is very low, then yes, it is easy. And I would I would venture to say, Matt, that in a situation like that, my immediate conclusion is you can probably run a faster marathon um, with with the right preparation, obviously. But if someone says that, you know, I can only run a marathon at nine minute pace, but I can run 12 miles at 930 pace at a very low heart rate zone, I'm going to say with the right uh, tweaks and preparation, you could run a faster marathon because because the, the, the easy pace is actually easy. Yeah, that's definitely a great point. I was, I'm glad you said that because I was actually going to say the same exact thing. All right, Andy and Zach. Thank you so much for coming on the show. This was an absolute pleasure. Best of luck to you in all things running, whether it's your own running, your running podcast, your coaching, all of it. You're doing such great work. Thanks so much, Matt, and you as well. Appreciate the opportunity to talk with you here. Hearing you talk with so many people and then having a chance to engage directly with you is just a rare treat. So thank Mm -hmm. you. Thank you, Matt. Andy and Zach, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was an absolute blast. Also, teaser alert, I'm going to be on their show in a few weeks. So that's going to be super fun as well. Thank you so much for listening. If you're listening to this point, it's because you like this show, and I cannot be more appreciative of that. If you could go over to Apple Podcasts, if this is where you listen to the show, and do a rating and review of the show, it really helps. It might take 10 seconds out of your life. It actually has a huge impact on what we're doing over here on the show. I know it seems like a small thing, but it isn't, and I really appreciate it. So thank you so much for listening and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of InPost Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry.